0: morning 2021 was a um, difficult year for me personally Uh, my mother-in-law died in the spring Uh, my sister was diagnosed with COVID and died after spending a week on a ventilator and three months ago my wife was diagnosed with end-stage kidney disease and she's waiting for a transplant in the not too distant future but the good news is that God is always faithful and he always goes with us through troubling times and I'm a big fan of uh, Pastor Darren's series through the book of Job I know it was difficult to read and study and preach through that book But those sermons were a blessing to me and my wife, and I know they were a blessing to many of you, too. And today I want to piggyback on what Pastor Darren has preached. God won't always remove us from our suffering, but he will give us the resources to walk through those times of suffering with a God-given boldness. And confidence. And I want us to begin today by looking at a familiar verse, Psalm 46, verse 1. And this is what the psalmist says, speaking through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble and what I love about this verse is that it's so simple God isn't just present in our troubles he's very present and he's ready to help he is our help we never walk alone through our suffering God is near and he's always ready to help and what I'm hoping to do today is to get a better look at what God's help looks like. What are some of the tools and resources that He gives us? And what I want us to consider today are these three things. Peace, comfort, and joy. Peace, comfort, and joy. And honestly, my goal is to be as practical as I can. I chose this subject because... 2022 might be a tough year for some of us, I don't know, but if it is, I want us to come through it successfully and victoriously because Psalm 46.1 was a reality in our lives. And I'll give you fair warning, I'll be reading a lot of scriptures, so you might want to warm up your fingers. But let's take a look first at peace, God's peace. And I want to try to lay a groundwork with three verses. So turn with me first to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We read this verse every Christmas. The prophet Isaiah is looking through the tunnel of time 700 years into the future and he sees Jesus. He's wonderful. He's mighty. He's everlasting. But look at the last one. He's the prince of peace. Peace is a part of his mission statement. He came to bring peace and to rule in peace. And we see that in Mark chapter 4. I won't read it, but I think most of you know the story. Jesus and his disciples were out on a boat. Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat. And suddenly a storm broke out. The wind and the waves were rocking the boat. And the disciples were in a full-blown panic. And when Jesus woke up, here's what happened. Mark 4:39. And he awoke. And he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. Obviously, Mark wants us to know that Jesus has command over the elements, but I think it goes deeper than that. This is really an incredible picture of what it means to say that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. It's not just a lofty title. Okay, When he commands peace, guess what? Peace happens. And it's interesting, uh, Luke actually pulls out the word mega. Jesus gave this command, peace, and there was literally mega peace. The sea was perfectly still. And here's the point. What he can do for the sea, he can do for you and me in the heart. Whatever fear or worry or turmoil you might be going through, whatever might be raging in your heart, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, can replace it with mega peace. He has the power and authority to bring peace. Now flip over to John's Gospel. John chapter 14, verse 27 We fast forward to the Last Supper. Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room. He's told them that he's leaving, but then he makes them a promise. Peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Jesus knows that his leaving is going to affect his disciples. They'll be anxious. They'll be upset. They'll be worried about themselves and their families. And he knows they'll be afraid. But he lets them know there's an antidote for all that trouble and turmoil he gives them. His peace. And he gives them an assurance. He says, this isn't like the world. This isn't like what you see out in the marketplace. There's no strings attached. This isn't a bait and switch. I am giving you my peace. It's the real thing, and it's yours. And that's good news for every believer. I want to share a couple of quotes. Here's what Tony Evans says about this verse with a sovereign God ruling over the world and the peace of Christ ruling in your heart you can overcome trouble and fear and then David Jeremiah brings all of this together the peace he offers is a calm unafraid unruffled confidence that having placed our lives in His hands, all will be well. Nothing can harm our innermost being. Nothing can shake us from the intimate connection we've established with the Lord of the universe through our saving faith in Him. It's a peace we have despite external circumstances and a peace that cannot be destroyed. So that's our foundation. And I want us to spend the rest of our time in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul has a lot to say about peace in this chapter. And I want us to focus on verses 5, 6, and 7. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 7 is probably one that most of us know and memorize but you really can't understand verse seven without understanding what verses five and six tell us so let's start with verse five Paul says the Lord is near why why does he say that so we can see there's a connection between the nearness of God and the peace of God there's an old saying if it feels like God is distant He's not the one who's moved. God is steadfast. God is unchanging. He isn't going anywhere. But you and I, we can drift or pull away. We can focus so much on ourselves that we begin to push God to the margins of our lives. That's why James chapter 4 verse 8 says this. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Drawing near means desiring God. It means spending time with God. It means loving God, not only with our heart and our lips, but with our hands and our feet. Drawing near means fellowshipping with God, walking with God, living with God. And then in verse 6, Paul talks about prayer. And he starts by saying that we aren't to be anxious. We aren't to be troubled or worried. And I can guarantee you there's nothing that will rob you of peace like worry. And then he gives us a command. Instead of worrying, we're to pray. Pray about everything. Pray with thanksgiving. You see, prayer releases our anxieties and lays them at the foot of Jesus. Prayer says to God, I know you're in control, Lord. I know you're working, and you're working for my good, and I'm putting my life, my situation, into your hands. I'm trusting you completely, Lord. I don't have to worry. And you can see how verses... and 6 flow right into verse 7 if I've drawn near to God and if I've made prayer a priority I can experience the peace of God God wants us to know his peace but I'm telling you this is where we get off track this is where we stumble we don't make any effort To draw near to God, we don't pray, and then we wonder, where's God? I'll say it again, God hasn't moved. You have. Seek His presence. Reach out to Him in prayer, and you'll see those two things will unlock the door to His peace. I've got a couple of things to say about verse 7, and then we'll move on. First of all, I I love how Paul says that God's peace surpasses understanding. Isaiah tells us that God's ways are higher than our ways, God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Why should it surprise us that God's peace is higher than our peace? That God's peace surpasses what we can understand. It's a God-given peace, and that means it has staying power. Good days, bad days, it doesn't matter. The peace of God prevails. And he reinforces this idea in the next part of the verse. The peace of God will what? Look with me. Look at what it says. It will guard your hearts and minds. And it was interesting as I was studying, this is actually a military term. And it means that God is posting guards to protect your vulnerable spots, your heart and your mind. Do you remember when uh, uh, Pilate posted a guard at the tomb of Jesus? That's what Paul has in mind. This is a, uh, a group of Roman soldiers, probably six soldiers, fully armed. And their job is to guard this spot, stand watch 24-7. Nobody gets through a Roman guard. And Paul is saying, that's what God does. When we have the peace of God, our heart is guarded. Our mind is guarded. And nothing the enemy throws at us can take that peace away. It's God-given, and it's God-guarded. So, one of the ways that God helps us and brings us through times of trouble is by giving us his peace. His peace. But he also gives us his comfort. So, let's take a look together at the comfort that God gives us. I want to do what I did earlier. I'll, I'll lay a foundation. So, let's begin by turning to John's gospel, uh, John chapter 14. And I'll be looking at verses 16 and 17. And this is what Jesus says. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is where Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, and he says, I'm giving you a helper. And in the original language, uh, it's parakletos, and and what it means literally is to come alongside. So I want you to think about what that means in our lives, how Is God helping us? Is He watching from the stands? Is He cheering us on the sidelines? No, see, He comes alongside. The Holy Spirit performs His work and His ministry by coming alongside. And I want you to try to get a picture of that in your mind. Why is He beside us? Why does that matter? Think about it. It's so He can embrace us. It's so He can pick us up when we've fallen or when we're too weak. It's so He can lean over and whisper into our ears the encouraging things that we need to hear. So keep that in mind and we're going to flip over now to Acts chapter 9. Luke, of course, wrote his gospel, and he also wrote the book of Acts, where he gives us a history of the early church. And every so often he stops, and he gives us a status update. What's happening with the church? Um, And if you look back in chapter 8, he talks about a great persecution, breaking out against the church. And in fact, many of the Christians living in Jerusalem were forced to flee the city. And then in chapter 9, he tells us how Saul of Tarsus was saved. But now he's being targeted. He's receiving death threats and the church reaches out to help. And with all of that as his background, he tells us what's happening. This is his, uh, his church update in verse 31. Listen, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Luke gives us this incredible picture of the church. They're experiencing peace. They're being built up. They're multiplying. Why? Luke tells us they were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And I like how Luke pairs those two things. The fear of the Lord means having a reverential fear. Knowing the power of God and the holiness of God and responding By giving God honor and worship. And it means trusting God's sovereign care over you. This all-knowing, all-powerful God is keeping watch over your life. Here's a quote from John MacArthur. Fearing God involves knowing and trusting His complete sovereignty over everything in the universe. And when you have this perspective, you'll be confident in knowing that all things are controlled by Him for His good purposes, which removes all reasons for anxiety. So these early believers were walking in the fear of the Lord, and at the same time, they were walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Remember, these were Difficult times, okay? Christians were being persecuted. Christians were being arrested. And they were even being put to death for their faith. So there were plenty of reasons to be discouraged and afraid. And these believers, they're tired. They're worn out. And and they're bearing plenty of emotional bumps and bruises. But the Holy Spirit, see... They were walking with the Holy Spirit. He came alongside them and He brought them comfort, the help that they so desperately needed. I can see the the Holy Spirit lifting them up and giving them the strength to keep going. I, I can see the Spirit bandaging their wounds. I can see the Spirit leaning over and whispering, You're okay. I'm right here with you. I'm right here, and I am never leaving you. I'm never going away. And see, what the Spirit did for these early believers, He still does today. He's walking with us as a friend and a comforter. And it's probably not a surprise that Paul has a lot to say about God's comfort too. So if you could flip with me to the book of 2nd Thessalonians. 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2 we'll take a look at what Paul has to say. Paul's teaching about the end times. The man of lawlessness will come and he'll oppose God and the things of God and the people of God. The devil will bring deception and he'll persecute those who belong to Christ. But then Paul says to the believers, stand firm, hold to the truth. And then in verses 16 and 17, he prays this prayer over them. Now may our Lord, Jesus Christ Himself, and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and deed. God has given us, I love how he says this, eternal comfort. And that means exactly what it says it's everlasting comfort, it's forever comfort, it's never ending comfort. And he gives it to us through grace. Thank God we don't have to earn it. We don't have to pay for it. As the children of God, all we have to do is ask for it. And I love what Tony Evans has to say about these verses. God has already put on deposit in eternity all the comfort you need to deal with any situation you face. Think of it as a well-supplied account at the bank All you have to do is write a withdrawal slip, and prayer is that slip. And if you'll look closely at verse 17, you'll see something else. Paul shows us what the result of God's comfort looks like. He says that God will establish our hearts. See, God's comfort isn't just a band-aid. It isn't just covering up the troubles and the hurts in our lives. No, God brings healing. This word that Paul is using, it means to make something sturdy, to make something firm, to strengthen something that's weak. So through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, God is taking our hurting, broken hearts and He's mending them. He's rebuilding them. He's making them strong again. Whole again. We shouldn't go through life like the walking wounded. We shouldn't carry our hurts around us like baggage we can't get rid of. We have a comforter. We have a healer. God wants to comfort us. If you're hurting or broken, the question is, Will you ask? Will you cry out to God? before we leave this, I want to look at something that makes God's comfort unique. Uh, turn to Second Corinthians chapter one. This is a passage that uh, is dear to me. Second Corinthians chapter one verses. 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions. And then listen to the rest. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort of With which we ourselves are comforted by God. What does all that mean? We who are comforted become comforters ourselves. We become instruments of God's comfort. God is opening a door for ministry. If we've been comforted by God, He'll work through us to bring comfort to others. And you may be wondering, okay, what what does this look like? Well, I have good news. Paul gives us an example from his own life. And I'll give you a little background. Uh, The church in Corinth was a mess. If you've ever read 1 Corinthians, you know the church was a mess. There were divisions. There were false teachers. And some of the believers were living in open sin. And Paul wrote... A stern letter. And as he's away on the mission field, he's passionately concerned about these Corinthians. So much so that he sends Titus to Corinth. And after Titus returned, this is what Paul wrote. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 5, 6, and 7. For when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest. But we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me so that my joy was greater than ever. Paul lays it out for us. Titus went to Corinth, and he was comforted by the Corinthians. And then, Titus returns to Paul, and Titus comforts Paul. Titus let Paul know that the church was healing and growing, and they were grieving over their sins and and so Titus was a comforter. He brought that comfort back from Corinth and he became a comforter to Paul. And that's how God brings comfort through ordinary believers like you and me. Those who receive God's comfort, take that comfort with them and share it with others. And I've seen this in my own life. Many of you know that early in my marriage, uh, My wife and I had stillborn twins. Uh, We lost two beautiful girls, both redheads, and we were devastated. But God comforted us. He comforted in unique ways. That's another sermon. But we were both healed inwardly by the comfort of God And over the years, we were surprised how many times we were able to reach out to husbands and wives who were going through the same thing, grieving over a miscarriage, grieving over the loss of a child. And years later, I remember reading these verses and thinking, okay, now I get it. (laughs) Now I see what God was doing. We were living out these verses. And I, I thank God for working through us. And listen, what, what He did in my life, He'll do in yours. I, I pray that God will open a door for you to become a part of this ministry of comfort. So we've looked at God's peace. We've looked at God's comfort. And now I want us to take a look at God's joy. And I'll begin with Psalm 16 verse 11 Psalm 16:11 and the psalmist says you make known to me the path of life in your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore I want you to think about what we've seen so far. If we want God's peace, we have to draw near to God. If we want God's comfort, we have to walk with the Holy Spirit. And now we're looking at joy, and if we want to experience God's joy, we have to be in God's presence. And it's a reminder to me that it's not about a formula, okay? It's not about a gimmick and I'll quote Henry Blackaby here, it's about pursuing a love relationship with God that's real and personal. Are you pursuing God? Are you falling deeper in love with Jesus? That's the key. And the more you enjoy those personal, intimate times with God, the more you'll experience His peace, His comfort, His joy. And I'll throw in a Tony Evans quote for free. Both in history and in eternity, there is unfathomable joy in God's presence. Thus, believers must make living in God's presence and anticipating an eternal future with Him a way of life. That's good. In the presence of God, there is fullness of joy and then if you'll turn over a few pages to Psalm 43 Psalm 43 verses 3 and 4 send out your light and your truth let them lead me let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. And I will praise him with the lyre, O God, my God. I want you to see a couple of things from this psalm. First of all, uh, joy comes when we worship God. The last time I preached, I gave you a definition of worship from Ken Ham. Praising God, worshiping God, means giving God the recognition He deserves. So we worship God when the things we say and do give glory and recognition to God. And worshiping God brings joy. Why? Because God is the source of joy. And as we connect with the source through our worship... His joy flows through us. But there's another piece to this. Where was it that the psalmist wanted to go to worship? Where was God leading him to go? He wanted to go and worship at God's house. He wanted to go and worship with God's people. The Israelites worshipped in community. They understood that God worked and moved powerfully when His people gathered for worship. And that's even more true in the New Testament. Jesus established the church. This is His church. And as believers, you and I are a part of His church. And so joy comes when we gather as the church and worship as the church. When we gather together, the church can minister. There's preaching, there's teaching, there's fellowshipping, and as we participate in all of those things, we experience joy. Now I want to close See, I should have started with the hard stuff. I'm going to close with the hard stuff. I want us to look at a couple of passages that can be difficult for us. Um, the first one is Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. And the writer of Hebrews says this, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, despising the shame, And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And here's what I take away from that verse. Joy comes when we're faithful to God, regardless of the circumstances. Jesus was being obedient, even though he could see the cross. He could see the whip. He could see the nails, he could see the crown of thorns, he could see it all. But it was a joy in his eyes because he was was being obedient to the Father's will. Obedience brings joy. Faithfulness to God brings joy, even when it requires us to endure hardship. When the disciples were beaten for preaching the Gospel, they rejoiced to be counted worthy to suffer. And when Paul was imprisoned, he praised God because he knew that the Gospel had finally come to Rome. It finally came to the heart of the empire. What about you? Can you rejoice when your obedience brings ridicule, confrontation, Broken relationships? How can we be more like Paul and the disciples? Well, I have a a verse that helps us. But it's a hard verse. (laughs) But it's so immensely practical. Uh, Flip over to James chapter 1. James chapter 1 verses 2 to 4. Uh, James is the leader of the church in Jerusalem and he's writing to those who are suffering through persecution. And this is what he says. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith Produces steadfastness. And steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be complete and perfect, lacking in nothing. Count it all joy. That seems like a hard pill to swallow, doesn't it? But I want us to take a look at the word that's translated count. It's hegeomai. And it means to consider or to do a reckoning. And if you'll, you'll bear with me for just a minute, I'm going to go back to Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Because this helps us get a better understanding of what this means. Philippians 3, 7. Paul, if you remember this passage, Paul is going through his resume. And he lists all the things that gave him a reason to boast. In his Jewish heritage. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was an expert in the law. He followed the law scrupulously. And he was as zealous as they come. But then he says this. Philippians 3.7 But what things were gained to me. Those I counted loss for Christ. All of these things looked like gain. They looked like positives. But Paul says, Hegeomai, I counted them as loss. Why? Because he was looking at them through the lens of what he knew to be true about Christ. And as a believer in Jesus, he says, look, I consider Hegeomai, I consider those things worthless. Okay, so now flip back to James uh, chapter 1, and we're going to look at that passage again. James says we're to look at our trials, and we're to hegeomai, we're to count them as a joy. Why? Well, he gives us a lens to look through. Whatever you're going through, know this, God is working, and he's working for your good. God brings good out of your trials. He's refining you. He's growing your faith. He has a purpose and a plan for everything you go through. And when you look at your trials through that lens, you don't see them as trials anymore. You rejoice because you see God's fingerprints all over them. God's in charge. Not a distant God, not an uncaring God, but He's the God who loved you and saved you. He's the God who died for you. He's the God who is personally preparing a place for you in glory. You know Him. You know His heart. You know He loves you. And you know that whatever trial you're going through, God is working and moving forward. You, and you can count it all joy. You can rejoice knowing that you're in the hands of the all-powerful God. His all-powerful hands are in control of the situation, and His all-powerful hands will never, never let you go. As we come to a close, I want to ask a couple of questions. First of all, do you know Jesus? That's the most important question in all of life. Do you have a saving relationship with the Son of God? He can save you from your sins and give you a new life, an abundant life in the here and now, and an eternal life spent with Him in glory. Will you come to Jesus today? And for the believers in the room or watching over the live stream, can I remind you that anytime you go through difficult times in your life, God is with you. That's His promise. And He gives us these three amazing gifts. Peace, comfort, and joy. Where there's worry where there's fear, where your circumstances look like they're spinning out of control, He can bring peace. Where your heart is aching and you feel broken and wounded inside, He can bring comfort. And where there's sadness, where there's discouragement, where you feel overwhelmed by the circumstances of your life, He can bring joy. And if there's a need in your life today, will you fix your eyes on Jesus? Will you look away from the circumstances and turn and look face to face, look right into His face? He's with you. The psalmist says He's ready, He's willing, He's able to minister to that need. He's our very present hope in trouble let me invite you to stand and join me in prayer as the praise team makes their way to the front